0: Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Fuse. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer, Jim Hill, and on behalf of my co-host, Dustin Fuse, I'd like to apologize for being so long since we last posted a new show, but there were some very good reasons for this podcast's absence. Uh, Dustin, you and Jill have been packing up your old place and moving a billion boxes into your new digs, right?
1: Yeah, we decided to buy a new condo in, in downtown Toronto, and you don't realize how much stuff you have until you're putting them into boxes, So along with the unique map collection that we have, uh, we also have all the the little hidden things like, you know, a couple of wands and a couple of just fun things. Let's let's be honest, the big reason why we're in this new place is I finally got a sit in stand desk. It's the best thing in the entire world. So. That's a good thing. I've always wanted one of those. I mean,
0: in the case of myself and Nancy, were we to ever have to move, I think the proper phrase here would be controlled burn. (laughs) I can't imagine packing up all of this stuff and moving to some place. I mean, a couple of years ago, I thinned the herd in my library and donated a thousand books and still have way too much crap. But that said... Not that we haven't been working on new stuff. Dustin and I have something really cool planned for Universal Joint listeners. A special show that I think will interest all of you Dr. Seuss fans out there. But we're going to be recording that podcast next week and posting it just in time for Christmas. So... If you're a fan of the main one, you really want to listen to this show. Speaking of the Grinch, uh, we should probably take out a, a moment or two to talk about how well Universal Pictures' new animated version of uh, the Grinch has been doing at North American box office. Uh,
1: have you been eyeballing the numbers there at all, Destin? Yeah, I've been looking at since it, it came out with such a strong marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. It's been very interesting to see. So what we've got now is it's been in theaters for. Five weeks now, right? Yep. So if we're looking at the the dollars to donuts, you know, idea and keep in mind, you and I are recording on December the 14th mm-hmm. of 2018. Yep. So that's $226.7 million in ticket sales in North America. Mm-hmm. And really cool. That means that uh, Dr. Uh, Zeus's the Grinch currently sits in the number six spot when it comes to the highest grossing films to be released domestically in 2018
0: just this past weekend for the first time in years the two top films in the north american box office were ralph breaks the internet record ralph 2 that had 16.2 million and the grinch was a very close behind with a 15.7 if i remember remembering correctly and there's a, a lot of people in hollywood who actually believe that you can't release two animated films close to one another because they'll erode each other's box office. And that doesn't seem to be the case, at least this time around. Now, mind you, if we're looking at overseas, box office totals, a very different story for The Grinch. It's only sold $103 million worth of tickets overseas. There were people who tell you Dr. Seuss is really more of a North American thing. And there's this this fascinating story about Benedict Cumberbatch when the folks at Illuminations hired him because they were talking in terms of the 1966 Chuck Jones Mm -hmm. animated holiday special. And they were like, well, the only person who could possibly follow follow Boris Karloff's amazing narration and vocal performance of the Grinch on, on that special would be Benedict Cumberbatch. And so here Cumberbatch comes through the door and he's like, now wait a minute, this Dr. Seuss is an American story. And so I think I should do an American accent. And and the guys at Illuminations kind of blinked at him because it's like we, we were kind of hoping to get the Sherlock guy. But no, he stuck to his guns. And actually, Nancy and I saw the film with Alice last week of thereabouts finally. And it's actually the right choice for this version of the story, which we'll get into. You know, when the, the thing that Dustin and I are, are recording
1: next week or thereabouts. But now, quick question though: When you were in the the seat in the theater, looking up at the screen, how many times were you comparing the Grinch, uh, the the new ones, the Doctor Zeus's, Se- 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 uh, the Grinch, with the Jim Carrey version?
0: Before we headed out, I actually made a point of. Of DVRing it, and these are two very different animals. The Ron Howard film from two thousand is very much a film that tries to stand in two worlds. It's trying to be a holiday film, and at the same time, it's trying to be a Jim Carrey comedy. Yeah, it gets kind of schizophrenic at moments. And in fact, every so often, there are jokes in it where it's like the Grinch is fleeing Whoville and sticks up his arm to call for a taxi, and the taxi blows right by him and He screams after it. It's like, you didn't stop because I'm green. (laughs) You will not find jokes like that in the Illuminations movie. In fact, the Illuminations movie does something genuinely unique. It really hammers on the sincerity button. And you wouldn't think they could pull it off, but they did. Mm -hmm. The animated version... Cost only seventy five million dollars, versus the live action version, which uh, cost one hundred twenty three million dollars to make back in nineteen ninety nine, and they had to use eleven different sound stages in the Universal Studios lot. And the Illuminations one already is is doing well enough that it's it's into profit. What's kind of interesting is that sort of pivot back to the the theme parks now. The folks who, who handle entertainment. At Universal Orlando, the Universal Orlando Resort, since 2000, when they did the very first Grinchmas mm-hmm. at uh, Islands Adventure, this has become a big holiday tradition in the Central Florida market, and people actually go there to hang with the Grinch. In fact, did did you get to see that that viral video from last week where somebody had brought the Grinch an onion?
1: I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely hilarious. So if you haven't seen it, just go on wherever you get your social medias, uh, be it Facebook or Instagram or wherever, and just search the hashtag. It's either Andy's coming or no, it's, it's the, the Grinch. Just type in Grinch viral. You'll see what will happen.
0: For those of you who know the Jim Carrey moment, I want to say very early in that version of the Grinch to show in close up the Grinch eating an onion. What ends up happening in this viral video is that, that you see this woman who's waiting to get her picture taken with the Grinch, and she presents the Grinch with a gift. It's an onion. And the performer who's in the Grinch outfit is just thrilled to be given this and say, like, oh, it's perfect. And He actually brings her inside and carries the onion with him. And I want to say he then licks it and places it in the holiday tree there in the store, if I'm remembering the footage correctly. I made some calls to friends at Universal and they were like both thrilled and horrified by this video because they are desperately hoping that this doesn't become their theme park's Andy's coming. And, And to explain, if you went up to the Toy Story characters where you were in the park, the walk-around Toy Story characters, and you said, Andy's coming, they would collapse.
1: And there's there are photos about it. There's video. Yeah. Um, I think the most common place where you would be able to see it was actually where Woody and Jesse were meeting right beside uh, Splash Mountain in, in Frontierland. Yeah. And it, it turned into this almost a, a viral joke because... I think it, it happened only a, a handful of times before, yeah, before management said no. Yeah, management <laughs>
0: fell on them like wolves because, again, when they did this, when when the performers in those extremely expensive Jesse and Woody outfits, they'd get scuffed, they'd get dirty, and they'd have to be cleaned, and there's only so many of them they have in backstage, held in reserve. So they put the kibosh in this immediately, and getting back to Universal now... Their fear is that, oh, crud, now everyone's going to come in and hand the Grinch an onion and, you know, what are we going to do with these things? And they could fold them into, I guess, you know, their holiday food offerings for, for Universal Orlando, which, by the way, you were telling me they've got all sorts of these cool things offering for the 2018 holiday season.
1: Now that's a segue. Yeah. yeah, so when when we were talking about what's going on with the holidays, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Halloween and just a lot of things come out throughout the, the parks. And with the holidays here, right here, right now, uh, Universal Orlando Resort has done a really interesting job on capitalizing on the Instagram culture. So what happened was there was a... Um, a media event where folks were able to go in and talk with uh, a number of the creative culinarians is what they, they call themselves. And they're basically folks who are amazingly skilled designers and chefs, and they come together and they talk about what people in the, the theme parks would want to buy. So this year, they've gone out of their way to create a huge list of unique things. So everything from a gingerbread cheesecake to cupcake. so they have a reindeer chocolate cupcake, to something that really struck my fancy when when I was looking at it. It's an apple strudel on a stick.
0: I actually had this at the press event back in November, and I often kind of look at these sort of things and wave at them because they're like, can't eat that. But it was so uh, pretty and, and so, you know, I brought one over the table and basically shared it with everybody. And it, this isn't something you normally hear on a stick, you know, associated with. But they really did an, a nice job. Some of the other stuff that I just, I didn't dare sample that really looked attractive, though, is like, don't they do some sort of a red velvet cake roll or something like that?
1: Yeah, so that's that's their eulog. Oh, so it's a, a cream cheese filling, mm-hmm. uh, red velvet cake, and then a buttercream coating.
0: Yeah, it looked beautiful and deadly. So I I just waved at it.
1: <laughs>
0: in this this Instagrammable world that we live in, it's like they're very pretty, so they they lend themselves to being photographed, and and then they're also large enough to share.
1: And they're actually edible. And that was the big thing going back. uh, We discussed it on our last uh, show about the green eggs and ham, Mm. where when they create these food offerings in the park, either they look really interesting or cool Mm -hmm. or, you know, they're edible. Mm -hmm. So at least now we're seeing uh, with the holiday offering. Some really, you know, the Eulog, the, the cookies, the macarons, all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. I would like to see a little bit more fruit, but that's just me. No. You know, you, you want to be healthy when you're in the parks, mm-hmm. but that's why we have City Walk. So outside of the parks, keep in mind Universal Orlando Resort is a huge mm-hmm. area. It encompasses the two main theme parks, it encompasses the water theme park, Volcano Bay, but then you have City Walk. And we're we're looking at some new Offerings that are continuing um, that are showing up fairly regularly. We had Voodoo Donuts show up, and you know there there may be something else coming.
0: I think you're referring to the replacement for Emeralds, which uh, what closed back on July seventh.
1: Yes, and still, just like anything, until we see the name up on the building, there's nothing really that we we know for sure. Well... But the fact that... Okay, okay. (laughs) Yes,
0: until the name shows up on the building. But the the interesting thing is that, that, you know, in addition to the name up on the building, there are names on forms and... and haven't we we've seen a name haven't we for what may be going into emerald
1: we're looking at big fire grill so big fire is going to be heading in we are once again assuming that that is going to happen Mm -hmm. but along with big fire grill there are also a couple of things that are showing up through trademark searches and and these types of things and the the other one that popped up was universal's great movie escape
0: now we just have a name, and obviously, escape rooms are very popular now. But you, you brought up a very interesting point that this could end up in City Walk. This could also end up being built.
1: This could ha- end up in, in City Walk. This can end up in a hotel. Mm-hmm. This is very similar to almost like The Void, where you create an experience mm-hmm. that is almost self containing. And you're able to bring it not only to Orlando's CityWalk, but you may be able to bring it to all of the various Universal properties around the world. True. And the name "Great Movie Escape" mm-hmm. is very, very uh, cool. It's a it works perfectly for the Universal backdrop. But what we're talking about that could really seal the deal for this is the corporate side.
0: Oh yeah. I get oh, what you're saying. The notion of this could be something that could be offered to the public. Likewise, it could be, you know, something you could book out for corporate groups. I love the duality here. And the nice thing about a name like Great Movie Escape is it's such a loose construct. You could do seasonal stuff, horror-themed stuff. You could do classic, you know, universal films, things like The Sting or, or that sort of thing.
1: Yep. And you can do it uh, to any age group, Mm -hmm. because what what we're seeing right now is that uh, originally the escape room was, you know, very much a a, an adult thing. Mm -hmm. You would go in and you'd have to solve all of these clues in order to escape. But as we're seeing a lot more families going into this, it's actually become a really value added experience to these types of things because you're able to bring your family together to solve a, a clue and solve a, a, a riddle. And that kind of thing is very it's very fun. It's something that I, I wish that our families, you know, growing up had this place to go to in order to work together to solve something. So we'll see if if it does show up to be, you know, an escape room or if it's something completely different. We just don't know yet.
0: True given that in 2019 we're going to be celebrating the 20th anniversary of the opening of the universal version of City Walk. So, gotta wonder if Big Fire and Great Movie Escape will show up as sort of the presents under the tree for uh, that particular anniversary. And speaking of presents under the tree, once we get to Christmas, you know, it's only minutes away till New Year's Eve and you had noticed, what, this, this huge pile of this wide variety of New Year's Eve-related offerings that Universal Orlando is putting together this year. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. So starting at Universal Studios Florida, you have New Year's Eve at the Music Plaza stage um, from 6.15 p.m. until 1 a.m., which includes a character dance party, live DJ. You get the, the pyrotechnics and confetti from there in Central Park. Starting at 8.30, you have, once again, a character dance party, live DJ. As well, you have the cinematic celebration. So they have stated that this is going to happen. Now, you and I both know it's cold. yeah. So it's probably not going to be as extravagant as it it could be. But then again, we don't know if they have a holiday tag. So this could be a very interesting... uh, Night. Now, from there, you have uh, different offerings all throughout the the property. So you have CityWalk has a number of you know celebrations from live bands, DJs. You can actually buy tickets before the evening, so you know exactly where you're going to go. And then from there, you go over. You can uh, end up at the resorts. You can end up at Portofino uh, Bay Hotel with their uh, New Year's Eve party on the piazza. You have the Hard Rock Hotel. You have Lowe's Royal Pacific uh, Resort with a New Year's Eve buffet. Like, there's a lot of activities. Now, the one that stuck out for me, and I'm I'm a huge fan of the style that has come from Universal's Aventura Hotel, but they're actually hosting the New Year's Eve at Bar 17 Bistro. Have you had a chance to, to dine at the this rooftop uh, location yet?
0: I have been up there to have a drink or two. And, and don't get me wrong. That there is no better view of all of Orlando. In fact, standing at the bar there, you can look straight down into downtown Orlando. And, you know, if you pivot your head then to the right, you can look all the way to Disney. And I have to imagine that on New Year's Eve when the various fireworks shows go off at, at SeaWorld and at the Universal Park and Disney and whatever they're doing in downtown Orlando, there'll be no better place to catch a view of this, of all these festivities. So, absolutely, yeah, Dustin, fantastic job sort of, of touching base on everything that's going on New Year's Eve-wise at the uh, Universal Orlando Resort. And when we get back from our break, Dustin and I are going to talk about Universal Fantastic Worlds, which is Supposedly the name of the fourth theme park that's being prepped for uh, the Universal Orlando Resort. So hang in there, folks. We'll be right back. By now, you've obviously seen that image on Twitter and Reddit. In uh, fact, <laughs> the, the thing that kills me about this image that somebody took at a presentation for a Universal Fantastic Worlds is literally there's a per- parenthetical phrase at the top of the image that says all content is in early development do not distribute and it's like well good luck with that guys. <laughs> We've heard from a number of different folks that Universal would love to have this place open in time to sort of ride on Disney's coattails for their 50th anniversary celebration, which, of course, will be a year-long thing in 2021. I've heard recently that, especially from the Universal side of the fence, since they know that Disney is going to do what Disney always does, which is the year-long celebration is somehow going to become an 18 to maybe
1: (laughs) 22-month-long celebration. Year of a Million Dreams? Absolutely. There we go.
0: So (laughs) it's entirely possible we may be looking now at a 2022 opening for this project but if you've looked at the art you know this park is going to feature Mario from Mario Brothers and that's really not a surprise given the you know the Super Nintendo world that's opening at Universal Studios Japan in 2020. The problem is right now we're working with not a lot of specifics. All right Dustin the overall size of this project is what?
1: So it's it's overall going to be 541.5 acres, mm-hmm. and it's something that when you're looking for for the actual park itself, mm-hmm. you can go on to to Google or to Twitter. And I'm a big fan of the content that Bio Reconstruct mm-hmm. does. He does all the flyovers mm-hmm. for um, Star Wars Land and for everything that's coming out. Well, he's done a couple of aerial photos on the development plans for this new park. Mm-hmm and you're looking at a huge parcel of land, but it's all broken up into different segments. You have back of house, you have front of house, you have expansion pads, but overall you're looking at the the project being over 500 acres with the parking area of 100, it's 100.72 acres Mm -hmm. with 5,089 parking spots.
0: Kind of a departure from what we've seen previously over at what they're referring to, I guess, is the original campus. And we had those two massive parking structures built. But that was, again, you know, the notion of weren't quite working with this much open space. So, you know, you had to build those multi-story parking structures so you'd then have the land to build islands Mm -hmm. and city walk and so forth. So I'm just kind of intrigued to see them going back to the 1990, Universal Studios Florida plan, where big open flat parking lot. But let's see how long that holds. But again, as as for what's going into the, this park, we've mentioned the Super Mario Brothers. The other, uh, kind of and again, you and I have talked about this in a previous show. The the How to Train Your Dragon area with its attractions. I mean, I think we were talking about the uh, Cinematic Celebration show and how you know, everything else that's featured in that 19-minute-long film are, are things you've seen that day as you've walked through the park. But, you know, suddenly here's, you know, all of this How to Train Your Dragon footage. And when I talked with one of the creatives, it was sort of like, well, what's the deal with that? It's, it, that's not in the park. And can we said the, the, the magic word? Not yet. <laughs> but anyway, for those of you, just, just to give you a, a broad picture of the uh, How to Train Your Dragon property, so that's based on the sixteen-book series by Cressida Cowell, DreamWorks Animation. The first film, which was directed by Chris Sanders and Dean Dubois. that's the team that brought us Disney's Lilo and Stitch back in two thousand two. But yeah, it, it came out in March of two thousand ten, and mm-hmm. did well enough. I mean, it was a, with a budget of one hundred sixty-five million, gross two hundred seventeen million stateside, another two hundred seventy-seven overseas. Coming in just shy of half a billion dollars worldwide. So the funny thing is Chris leaves. uh, He goes on to direct uh, The Croods for DreamWorks Animation with uh, Kirk D'Amico. Turns out that's, that's another success for the company. In fact, just recently they've confirmed that Croods 2 will be coming out. In September of 2020, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: Yeah, just uh, three months after Minions 2.
0: Yeah. It's kind of interesting given that Disney and Pixar have had to sort of figure out the dance of who releases what movies when. We're just now seeing Universal try to figure out that dance. Uh, In fact, next year, I think, is the first year where we're going to get How to Train Your Dragon, the, The Hidden World, in February, and then in June, I think, is Secret Life of Pets too, which which is, that's an Illuminations film. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch them to do that dance. But anyway, uh, Dean Dubois, he ended up being the de facto director of How to Train Your Dragons 2. That comes out in 2014, and he explained to me that he'd always wanted this to be a trilogy. In fact, this film keys off of the first line from the very first book that Cressida wrote, that... When I was a boy, there were dragons in the world. And for Dean, that's like, all right. So the story of this this series of movies has to tell is like, where did the dragons go? If they were once in the world, where are they now? And that, that's what we're gonna get seen, addressed in Hidden World. But anyway, Katzenberg on the other hand was like, does it have to be just three films? Could it be four films? I mean, Jeffrey was always pushing for everything to get extended into multi, multi, multi parts. In fact, at one point, Kung Fu Panda was supposed to be the six part series, but-
1: We're getting pretty darn close on the Kung Fu Panda. Every every couple of years you look and you're like, hey, look, Jack Black is, is back as his, his Panda alter ego. Mm-hmm.
0: In fact, we just, interesting with Kung Fu Panda, we just had that new 3D film open at Universal Studios Hollywood in the DreamWorks Theater there. And there's been, I guess, conversations about whether or not that will come to Universal Studios Florida as a replacement for the Shrek 4D experience. But I don't know if you saw this announcement. This was within the past month or so, but Mm -hmm. Illuminations is decided that they're going to reboot the Shrek franchise, that they're going to take a DreamWorks property and they're going to make a movie that either... I don't know if it's a reboot or they're expanding the series, but they've also announced that they're bringing back Mike Myers. They're bringing back Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz. So it's, it's all of the voice talent
1: only with a different animation studio. Has that ever been done? It's, it's an interesting concept. You, you bring back the original cast Mm -hmm. in a different light, but I don't think I've seen that exact formula ever come to light. It's usually a retelling or an earlier or later version of a a specific character like the Star Wars uh, movies but I don't think I've seen it where it's the exact same cast coming back.
0: Yeah, and the only parallel that I can think of is Jon Favreau's Lion King. It's an entirely new voice cast except James Earl Jones who comes back and does Mufasa. So it's... Yeah, well, there you got chills. Good. All right, good. <laughs> so it, I guess it's one thing to do that, to bring back one voice and do continuity, with the whole notion of Shrek by a different studio with the same voices. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to see how this one does, but there have been discussions about Shrek being, Shrek 4D being swapped out for the bringing in this Kung Fu Panda 3D movie. But at the same time, if you talk with the folks who built... The DreamWorks Theater up on mm-hmm. the upper lot at Universal Studios Hollywood, they were very upfront about the fact that it's like, look, this theater was created to so we could bring in multiple films. They could bring in a special holiday edition, which you know could be built around an entirely different character. In fact, I don't know if you've seen there's a, a couple of really great YouTubes video out there, but the pre-show. For the Kung Fu Panda 3D film uh, and, and Universal Hollywood, actually has the mm-hmm. the DreamWorks characters bickering among themselves about well who's going to be the star of this show. So right up front, this is kind of a repertory uh, company sit-up. So yeah, going to be interesting to see if if that's what actually comes in there. To get back to How to Train Your Dragon going into Fantastic Worlds as a land and an, an attraction. A, the one downside is it won't be the first one. Have you seen any of the footage for Motion Gate Dubai, their sort of DreamWorks land that's inside of one giant show building?
1: Yeah. And I think when you look at the various, uh, especially in Dubai, mm-hmm. they get all the various uh, intellectual properties all combined into one amazing display of architecture and you know bringing all the latest technologies together which I I wish each and every time I see some of these Mm parks, I wish that we can get those stateside and similar to the, how to train your dragon. I think the, the intellectual property behind that, Mm. the stories, the characters, they can do so much. So whether or not they bring the dragon gliders ride uh, here or they come up with something different, I just think that they, they can't wait. It's, it's a property that is hot, and it's hot now, so jump on it.
0: Talking with with folks at Universal Creative, they're like, okay, so this is what we want to do. However, we're tapping the brakes until we see what the box office is for Hidden World, because yeah. that's the other problem with this film franchise. When the the second film came out in 2014, Domestic box office, when you compare how the original How to Train Your Dragons did versus Dragons 2, fell off by 19%. And mm-hmm. so it's like, all right, that's a little concerning. Um, now, mind you, overseas, the first film made, I want to say, 200 and some odd million dollars. And second one makes $444 million. I, you know, It literally does 162% of the business the original film had done. So... So Universal's like, well, you know, I mean, we we like to think of ourselves as an international destination. You know, we've got so many people coming over from the UK, you know, to Mm -hmm. do Harry Potter and that sort of thing. So a film that's popular overseas that doesn't necessarily do as well stateside, that's not a deal breaker. But before they commit to doing a whole land and a set of attractions around How to Train a Dragon they they want to see how 3 does which brings us to the other land that was supposedly being considered for Fantastic Worlds and that was yet another Harry Potter area uh, you know supposedly this one was going to be built around the Ministry of Magic but with sort of a, a Fantastic Beasts overlay evidently the brakes got hit hard on that idea, based on what just happened with the crimes of Grinderwald, have you heard about what's going on with the box office for Fantastic Beasts Two?
1: From what I've seen, and keep in mind that with with my way of looking at, it, I'm I'm less about the movies mm-hmm. like in the theaters. I I like seeing the the full uh, package. I like seeing how it does in theaters, and then when it comes out to streaming and all the various levels but from what i'm hearing it's not being received as well as the the original harry potter uh series and that's to be expected different characters different uh cast everything like that but i am very cautious when i start seeing the similar worlds Mm -hmm. being combined like very similar to the um the grinch for example and just going full circle you wouldn't want to see the Grinch from the current movie meeting and greeting with the Grinch from Jim Carrey. Okay. So they are, they're two different things. And I think that when, when people start combining the two, especially with the wizarding world, a lot of people haven't seen the new series that are coming out and granted they will. It's, it's just a matter of, you know, going through their, their list on Netflix and such, but from what I've been told, it, it's not doing as well, and people within the, the universal mindset are are a little worried. I don't know. Is that what you've heard?
0: Yeah, I mean, you face it, there's been, you, when you compare, Fantastic Beast still has some time to run at theaters. But, you know, for example, when the original came out in November of 2016, stateside, it made $234 million. Right now... Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald, uh, currently sits at $147 million domestic. That's over a third
1: fall off in business. That, that's Lone Ranger territory right there. <laughs> and, uh,
0: and here's the thing. There they are the way J.K. Rowling has supposedly written this thing. You can remember back in 2016 when this project was, was or excuse me, 2013 when this thing was first announced, it was a trilogy mm-hmm. of movies. Only in October of 2016 did they reveal, did we say trilogy? We meant five-part. And now it's this whole notion of, okay, if the box office fell off this much for part two, do we really want to commit to three more movies? I mean, also, you know, you had previously made a very valid point in that these days, theatrical is only one part of the equation when you think about people who purchase this to view online or on their iphone or you know whatever uh you know there there are other revenue streams here but evidently that is right now part of the universal conceit that for the the fourth park we will see harry potter elements so if you're a harry potter fan who's coming with your family to vacation at the Universal Orlando Resort, they, that you're going to have to, if you want the full experience, you're going to have to go to uh, Hogsmeade in Islands Adventure, you're going to have to go over to Diagon Alley in the studios, and you're going to have to go, if you want to tour the, the, uh, the Ministry of Magic, you're going to have to go over to Fantastic Worlds. And... I want to run into Newt Scaramander and and see what's in that suitcase. But and
1: I think you you and I have talked about it a number of times with the the expansion going in mm-hmm. the expansion uh, lands that is a, a potential next to Diagon Alley with Fear Factor uh, live and then around the other side. There's a point in Universal Orlando Resort that you have to expand without closing. Mm-hmm. And I think this could be their way of going out here with a, a, a blue sky. There is nothing there. How do we build what we want to build? And it's, it's a very exciting prospect.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing, frankly, that we saw that was a, kind of a seat change in the way Universal Creative approaches. Now, remember, very, very early on when it came to the Nintendo properties, we saw a Super Nintendo World that was proposed that was basically going to be shoehorned in between in fact at one point it was supposed to actually swallow et adventure and then uh you know eat up where the original uh, hard rock cafe was located and then you know run all the way back to where a day in the park with barney ran and mm-hmm. And in much the same way as uh, what you were alluding to. The, you know, the notion was Ministry of Magic was supposed to be built on top of the old Bald Wild West. What is the name of that awful show where they make people eat bugs? Uh, Fear Factor. Fear Factor. There we go. Supposed to be built on top of that theater. And, and yeah. the pushback from Universal is like, well, wait a minute. Why would we be limiting these properties to just one park? Why don't we put them in all three of our parks? So Nintendo fans have to go to all three of these parks. And... And Harry Potter fans have to go to all three of these parks. And so that's kind of the spot we're in now. I'm going to be fascinated to see which individual Nintendo property, as opposed to, you know, a Mario ride next to a Zelda ride next to a thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just sort of like, okay, so what is going to go on top of the FIFL play area and the
1: curious george area because that's po- yeah, and the woody woodpecker yeah that's a- like all, all of that is old like and you don't want to say that it's old and outdated mm-hmm. but let's be honest i grew up with with curious george i grew up with woody woodpecker mm-hmm. you know when i was a kid that was cool that was something that was there for kids but now i can't remember the last time that there was a barney feature film mm-hmm. or a curious george anything and i think we've reached that point well, right now you know where it's
0: it's so interesting you say that because just last week news broke about a new series of woody woodpecker films that i think universal is making strictly for online so no i mean <laughs> valid observation on curious george valid observation on, on barney, and barney and. but you know just <laughs> woody woodpecker coming back so go figure yeah And you're right. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to have the Jim Carrey version of the Grinch meet up necessarily with the Benedict Cumberbatch version of the Grinch, but for the newly updated version of the Hooliday celebration at at Island's Adventure, their version of the Grinch, or how the Grinch stole Christmas, they're presenting now inside of Soundstage 1. First of all, they've updated the sets, made it a bigger show, better lighting, that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that the new costume for the Grinch, it's no longer the costume that the Grinch wore in the Jim Carrey movie. It's the costume from the 1957 book, which, curiously enough, is also the way this character looks in the 2018 animated version by Illumination. So... Clearly, this Illuminations version is a hit. It's popular, but it's like he's sincere. So many people now have, you know, coming up on 18 years, people have been coming to the Universal Islands adventure to be insulted and, and made fun of by the, that version of the Grinch that, you know, sort of t- yeah. takes its inspiration from Jim Carrey's performance. And I can't help but look at them sort of changing the look and sort of bumping out the size of the show that i think universal entertainment saw this new film coming down the pike and obviously got to see it early on and hesitated because it's like do we retool our show to support the animated film and take away from people the opportunity to meet with uh the jim carrey version of the grinch when you know they so enjoy and getting insulted by him you know what do they do for the future and I really shouldn't talk too much more about this because this is actually <laughs> what we're getting into at our holiday show next week. So, tell you what, I'm I'm going to shut up now. And and if you folks come back in a week or so, Dustin, and I have something very cool, a big grid show that I think you really really enjoy. But but again, just looking ahead, go ahead now to to next year that are about so now, you've got a new project of your own. You're you're launching out there, uh, Dustin. Don't you? The Wi-Fi Adventures.
1: Yeah, so on top of uh, steps to com, which is very heavily Orlando based, the Wi-Fi adventures, so it's Wi-Fiadventures.com, is everything else. So it's where Jill and, and me where we travel and you know be it New York or our home in Toronto or uh, wherever else we go and play. It's gonna be our insights, top 10 lists, ideas, first timer information, all that stuff that I wanted to put within the the steps to magic, but just felt as though that is very, you know, it's steps to magic is is all about universal and Disney. And that is just a a home for it. And now this this new thing, Wi-Fi Adventures, is, is up and running. So Hopefully, we'll be able to put some universal stuff over there, but I'm just excited to be able to talk about things that, you know, are, are in my own backyard.
0: Very cool. Well, speaking of which, didn't you just go to Second City there in, in Toronto?
1: Yeah, we were there yesterday. Mm. And once again, with live entertainment, mm. you don't know what you're going to get. Mm. And it's all based on the characters that the, the comedians are, uh, are portraying. And we see this, that's why we, we love to go to Disney and Universal with people who are skilled and talented. And I still think some of the, the best memories that I have uh, walking through Universal are talking with guys like Beetlejuice, where they can uh, riff back and forth. Now, most of those uh, characters, they have a stand-up background, stand-up comedy. And the best place to go and check something like that out, especially when you're in Chicago or Toronto, is the Second City. So we were there. Amazing stuff. I know that you got to chan- uh, got to see them in Chicago.
0: Yeah, this was years and years ago. But I went to the sort of the mothership, as it were, in Chicago. And, and on one Saturday night, saw the Second City's early show, the 10 o'clock show, and then stayed for the midnight. And Again, if you know Second City, they do a lot of improv, but they also do wonderful sketches that they sort of sussed out. And if you think about how many people walked out into the world from working at Second City, you know, the John Candys, the the Martin Shorts, as far back as Elaine May and uh, Mike Nichols. I mean, some amazing, amazing talent. So it was a, a wonderful evening. And, you know, I've always wanted to go back. So that's when you mentioned that you had just done this at you know at the Toronto Home Office, which of course is where, you know, the wonderful Second City television grew out of. That sounds like a wonderful evening and more to the point of the very sort of thing that would make me want to go take a look at Wi-Fi Adventures. But
1: Yeah, exactly. So basically what we're looking at going forward, especially with, with our show, is having fun doing the history side, but also news changes so quickly. So if we do take a week off or, or that kind of thing, it's not like we're giving up on keeping up with the news. We will always try and loop it back in. But it's amazing how quick some of this news changes. It
0: does. It does. And that's kind of the same thing we're dealing with with looking at Lucasfilm. We just got, you know, you know just yesterday they broke all sorts of news about the cast of The Mandalorian and You know, when Len and I are working on Disney Dish, it seems like the Walt Disney Company waits till after we record a show to release information. And in fact, what was so funny is that Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits the show and I also do the Marvelous Disney podcast with, but he was joking about the fact that we had literally in the last podcast, we had said, well, you know, it's very unlikely we're going to see an Avengers 4 trailer drop until after... Captain Marvel, because, you know, clearly, you know, Marvel Studios want to keep that all under wraps, so what happens, literally, the day after we record, they drop the trailer for Endgame, and the whole world loses its mind. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, between Disney Dish and, of course, our show...
1: Well, and then you have fine-tuning... Yeah, yeah, Drew
0: and I, in fact, I have to jump off here, folks, now, because (laughs) my homework assignment from Drew is I have to go out and take a look at... Spider-Man is at the Spider-Verse. So I apologize. I got to get to work here. That's my job. Go sit in a chair. Thanks for listening, folks. I going to go back by behalf of myself and Dustin and do come back next week because we have a cool Grinch show coming up that I think you're really, really, really going to enjoy. But for now, on behalf of Mr. Fuse, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this
1: and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.